We have been looking at over these uh, weeks, first, the necessity of a literal Israel reborn back in the land. We went through those scriptures. Uh, Then we looked at the necessity of prophecy. Why? There's there's a need for it. It has to have, you know, the scripture is 27% or so prophecy, one out of every four verses. and, and it, there's a necessity to that. Then last week we looked at the, the necessity of today's headlines, which you see on the wall there. And uh, if there's a necessity to today's headlines, there's a necessity to tomorrow's headlines as well. And we don't have to guess what tomorrow's headlines might be. We have enough of that recorded in scripture that we can at least live with anticipation. Um, It may not all fall out exactly the way we would think that it'll fall out, uh, but it's certainly going to roll out recognizably. You and I are not watching for particular events. We're not told to watch for signs we are watching for Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. But there are signs around us, and we are told to recognize them when they're there, though it is not the pursuit of our heart. And that is the return of Christ to come for us, for his bride, his children, and and to take us home. Last week, as we looked at the beginning of Ezekiel, as he talked about the rebirth of the nation of Israel, He talked about um, these combatants that are going to be involved in this confrontation. What we just wanted to say is, look, this is news today. This is not something, you know, does it mean it happens this week? I don't know. Does it mean it happens this decade? I don't know. Does it mean it happens 100 years from now? I don't care. I'll be gone by then. Uh, the, The idea is all of these things are there. They're in place. So that has to mean something to us. The chess players are on the board, and that has never happened before. Look, three great battles kind of described in the context of the last days in the Bible. One is certainly relative to Babylon and a battle there. And to get that whole picture, you look at Isaiah 13 and 14, Jeremiah 50 and 51, and Revelation 17 and 18, because there's geographical Babylon, there's political Babylon, there's spiritual Babylon. It's a broad picture, but that something specifically will take place in the last days in that context is made clear. It's put before us. The other great battle certainly is Armageddon, many places, but Revelation, the end of chapter 14, verse chapter 16, chapter 19, Zechariah and so forth, And obviously, it's at Armageddon that Christ returns. So we know that's the last days. That's one of the three battles. And this other battle that comes before us is the battle of Gog and Magog. So as we look at it, it's given incredible details, more than any particular battle in Scripture. And the cleanup after the battle is given to us. And then, of course, the 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 combatants are described to us, um, and Ezekiel gives those to us in the names of 
the, the current geographical locations that he understood, Rosh, the chief prince, Prince of Rosh, Magog, uh, we have here, this is Turkey today, but that was Gomer, the house of Togarma, which as he mentions, he talks about Iran uh, here, but uh, he, he doesn't call it Iran, he calls it Persia, because that's what it was in his day. Cush and Put, um, Ethiopia and Libya, he uses, oh, I'm sorry, he uses the ancient names. There's Cush and Put, there's Magog, uh, Rush, which would be Gog proper, uh, Mesic, Turkey, uh, and, and there is Persia. And uh, he uses the ancient names describing, though, a, a, an allegiance, a, a group of allies, r remarkably, that we, would, we see today. Who would have ever thought five years ago that Russia and Iran would be buddying up. Uh, you know, who'd have ever thought that the Ayatollah would be in Turkey? Because five years ago, Turkey for a long time had kind of at least civil relationships with Israel. Now Erdogan, and uh, again, the Ayatollah talking about the need to eradicate the Zionist problem, to, to drive every Jew into the sea. Just all of these things coming together is enough to make us say, where are we? Where are we? Where, where, what is the timing all? You know, I, I want to understand that. I think we should want to understand this. This battle could take place 10 years from now, could take place 50. I, I have the feeling that as we see the players on the chessboard, we, we're supposed to be living with anticipation. That's the instruction in the New Testament that we watch that we're sober, we're vigilant, that it's gonna happen in an hour we think not, the coming of Christ for the church, like a thief in the night and so on. So these things that we see that no generation before us has seen, at least should make us cognizant of the days that we're living in. All of us should at least be thinking about that. Where are we? How does this pan out? Uh, certainly, you and I are looking for Christ to return for the church, the rapture. Where does this lay out in regards to that? Um, we, we see the, you know, the, the players are all on the board. Now, you know, what about the timing? When does this happen? Does this happen before the rapture or does this happen after the rapture? Yes. <laughs> No man knows when the rapture takes place, but we do know from digging in the scripture, it takes place at 2.30 in the morning. <laughs> Somewhere. Um, <laughs> look, before or after the rapture, I don't know. Um, the rapture could happen two years before the tribulation begins. It could happen 10 years before the tribulation begins. It could happen 20 years before the tribulation begins. We don't know. Um, I tend to think as we look at this, that the rapture, my anticipation, this is not doctrine, this is just my own distorted opinion. I think that the rapture is what precipitates this battle. Right now, no one can come out of Europe, we'll study that as we move on, the Antichrist 
a, a global government. You see them pushing for that today. But Islam is a monkey wrench in their, in their uh, plans. I'm always glad of that. And, uh, you know, they're, they're buddying up here, Russia and Iran. But nobody can guarantee Israel peace for seven years as long as Israel has radical Islam and Russia on their front porch. And that's what it tells us. The Antichrist is going to sign a peace treaty with the nation of Israel for seven years. By the way, it's very clear those are 360 day years, not 365 day years, which of course is interesting because we are told here in chapter 38 that when God moves on Russia on these invading armies, that there's going to be an earthquake that's going to shake. It says the whole earth, which can be regional, but the point is every wall is going to fall to the ground, the fish of the sea, the air, everything's going to shake. That could easily put us back on the clock again. Up until 701 BC, the world ran on a 360-day year, every nation. 701 BC, great series of earthquakes and so forth. Some think it was because of a close path by, by Mars. I'm not sure I wasn't there. But it seems at that point in time, most calendars then switched to a 365-day year. But we know when we get back to this last seven-year period that there are 360-day years again, because half of it is described as 42 months, 1,260 days. So there's going to be a great shaking that goes on when all of this takes place. Personally, I believe that Russia in Iran right now, sitting on Israel's front porch, does not just come in and wipe out the nation of Israel, primarily because of our technology. You know, Islam considers Israel the little Satan and the United States as the great Satan. And we have things, um, you know, in space that I can't tell you about. But we have, we, you know, we, we have things there and under the water that Russia and China, that part of the world, does not yet want to confront. So, looking at all that, all of the players on the board, I'm thinking The Great Disappearance is a great book to be reading right now. Uh, because that could happen, I believe, at any minute. Today, before the service is over. Because the thing that would precipitate this confrontation, in my mind, one would be the rapture of the church. Because it wouldn't really affect radical Islam, and not every Muslim is a radical Islamist, but it would, the ones that are mustered against Israel, it wouldn't affect their armies. It, 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 really, it wouldn't affect the Russian army that's there, or Islamic North Africa. It would affect the United States. There would actually be some politicians that would disappear. There would be people I know in our intelligence community and in the, in the military that are still patriots that love the Lord that would disappear. 
people in local governments, police and firemen and the, the population of the United States, huge parts of the population be gone. The point is our, our economy, uh, there would be pandemonium here and that certainly would be you know, an inspiration. It would precipitate the, the Russians and that radical Islamic front to think this is the time to move and to come into the nation of Israel. Um, so we're watching for that, the coming of Christ. Look, you know, this is the news. This is your world. This is my world today when you go home. Turn it on. If you don't believe me, turn on your television when you go home. You won't see Magog. You won't see the house of Togarma. But you're going to see Turkey. You're going to see Russia. You're going to see all the Stans. You're going to see North Africa. Uh, you're going to see Iran for sure. You'll see all of these things. All of those players are on the board presently. There's no way away from that. The destruction of Russia, the great defiant atheistic nation on the earth through Marx and so forth. No regard for the Jew, no regard for Christ through Karl Marx. Not that there aren't plenty of believers in Russia proper. There are. Islam, no regard for Christ the way you and I have regard for Christ. No regard for Israel, certainly wanting to see Israel's destruction. And this is where God's judgment will fall. Uh, his destruction will come. And it tells us this. It tells us it will be seen. In chapter 38 and verse 8, it says, After many days thou shalt be visited. Chapter, I mean, verse 8, chapter 38. Thou shalt be visited. By the way, the Hebrew says thou shalt be left wanting or lacking. Um, the word visited in the Old Testament, sometimes it's in a positive sense. More often, it's negatively. God will come to judge. You will be visited. That's our phrase here, left wanting. And we see Russia depleted in regards to the war in Ukraine. You see the difficulties over there that are facing. Meantime, you know, Putin had visited Israel, spoken with Netanyahu, wanted to sign a deal for the 14, 15 trillion cubic feet of natural gas off the coast of Israel, Netanyahu said, I can't do that. You know, it's not just, you know, and Putin left unhappy. You know, I've been there over 30 times, last time, few times here talking to my friends. Is this real? Or is this natural gas, is this a reality? He said, here's how we know it's real. I said, he said, lawyers are involved. So, you know. <laughs> So you have that where there's natural gas, there is oil as well. Uh, on the southern part of the country off near the Dead Sea, they found one of the largest shale oil deposits on, on Earth. You know, the point is, Russia doesn't care about the Jews. Russia cares about the, the natural gas. They care about the wealth. That's why they went through Crimea, trying to establish the, you know, the flow of oil, natural gas to Europe and so forth. They're very threatened by the reserves that are there. They don't care whether Islam takes the Temple Mount or that. That's not their concern. And the Muslims don't care 
about the natural gas as much as they do about defeating Israel and destroying the Jewish state. So everybody's there, and, and Iran doesn't care how many Houthis die, how many Muslim, how many uh, Hezbollah die. Iran doesn't care how many Hamas die. They only care about one thing as well, which they think will bring the Mahdi. So we have this very interesting picture of them left wanting. There's a need on their side, looking at Israel, hesitating for some reason, which we talked about, I believe. It says it's going to happen in verse 8, in the latter years, that tells us where we live. Thou shalt come into the land that is brought back from the sword, that is gathered out of the people. That is chapter 37, against the mountains of Israel, which have always been waste, but is brought forth out of the nations, and they shall dwell safely, all of them. So this is going to be something that takes place. It says here in verse 8 and verse 11, then again in verse 14, they will be dwelling safely, the Jews. It says in unwalled villages, listen, when Ezekiel wrote that, he had never seen unwalled villages. You go to Israel today, the only walled city is Jerusalem for lots of reasons, but all of the settlements, the new areas, they're not walled like the ancient cities were walled. Three times it says they're dwelling safely. That Hebrew word has the sense of confidently. And again, I've been there enough times. There's not a more group of more confident people I have ever met anywhere. They just are confident in their ability, in their technology, in their determination to survive. They're dwelling there. No walled cities. Confidently, it tells us that will set the stage for the time of this, not the time of Jacob's trouble, the end of the tribulation. This is a time of dwelling safely, confidently. The enemies have not moved on them yet here. And they are different enemies than are pictured for us in Armageddon, by the way. And it says that when this takes place, that these things will be Seen. There's, there's things that will be within the human scope of vision. Um, verse 16 says, Thou shalt come up against my people Israel as a cloud to cover the land. It shall be in the latter days, has to be where we are, and I will bring thee against my land, that the heathen, the nations, may know me. When I shall be sanctified in the Ogog, notice it says, before their sight. It is something that it will be visible before their sight. Verse 23 again in chapter 38, it says, Thus I will magnify myself and sanctify myself. I will be known in the eyes, the eyes of many nations. And again, it tells us the same thing over in chapter 39, verses 21 and 27. The idea is here, this is going to be visual. This is visual. People are going to see this. There has never been a generation without, you know, before us where this could happen. When the, when the Civil War took place, people weren't sitting in Europe watching it on TV. This is the time when... 
a conflagration in the Middle East can be watched by people all over the world with mobile devices, with television, with the news. It tells us four times in these two chapters, this is going to be seen by the nations. So certainly that puts us in the days that we are living in now as well. This is going to happen. We have the technology, first time in the history of mankind, where these things can be watched globally. And it says they're going to come into the nation of Israel. Uh, They're going to come invade the land, um, unwalled villages, those that are at rest, dwelling safely, all of them dwelling without bars and gates and so forth. And then it says Sheba Dedan, which is Saudi Arabia, the merchants of Tarshish, which is always a question, some feel Great Britain, and all of its young lions, which has an interesting implication then. And it says they're going to come against the land. And it tells us clearly that it's the Lord that's doing it. They're not just coming. He's the one that does it. He's the one who draws them into the land to serve his purposes. And in chapters 37 through 39, 14 times it says the word know, that they may know, that the nations might know. Over and over and over, he's saying he, his heart is to reveal something. You know, I think of you and I sitting here this morning. What is it that he wants us to know? You know, he's told us <clears throat> incredible things about the future. Again, the second coming of Christ is the broadest subject in the New Testament. 27% of scripture is prophecy. One out of 10 verses in the New Testament is about the return of Christ. Why would he do that? You know, I think of times I've been in other parts of the country, been in the Middle East and something has happened here. You know, I was in Jerusalem when President Reagan bombed Libya and you're thinking, well, I can't drive home. I can't take a train home. Uh, I can't swim home. Uh, you know, you, you feel really far, you know, it was the West Coast when 911 happened, couldn't get a flight, couldn't get out of there. And, you know, you, you tell my wife, we'll do this. Yes, yeah, use the credit card, you know, uh, make sure the kids are safe. You know, it's just and, and, and you know, I want to say, well, I wanted to say I'll be home on this day. This is going to be OK. Everything is going to work out. You don't have to worry. And we're his bride. We're his children. He loves us more than I love mine. And I think he wants to say to us, particularly the generation that's going to see these things. Look, when you see this. Be ready. It's announcing something. I'm coming for you. You're my bride. You're my sons and you're my daughters. And I have paid for you with my own blood, which has made you the most expensive thing in the history of the universe. And greater love hath no man than this, than he lay down his life for his friends. And he says, I've called you my friends. He's coming for us. And he gives us this panorama to see so that we're not in the dark in regards to the days that we're living in. And he wants, it, he wants us to see this. It's interesting. He tells us the results of the battle. 
Uh, if you look over in chapter 39, it says in verse 8, Behold, it is come, it is done, saith the Lord God. This is the day whereof I have spoken. And they that dwell in the cities of Israel shall go forth and shall set on fire and burn the weapons, both of the shields and bucklers, bows and arrows, the hand staves, the spears. They shall burn them with fire for seven Years It tells us this is going to be the burning of these weapons for seven years. Um, are they lignostone, you know, uh, which is a, a, a form of beech wood that's com filled with resin and compressed uh, under, um, I think, a thousand tons of pressure to compress and squeeze out the excess resin. And it dries as hard as steel, but it burns hotter than coal. Certainly, there's a lot of that in use. Is it talking about that? I don't know. Is it talking about nuclear? I don't care. I won't be here. I believe the rapture is happening before this. So from the mezzanine, you'll get to watch all this. Since they're going to burn arrows and shields and chariots and so forth, you know, look, there's only... In my mind, at least, pray for me, two ways that could happen. One is if there's an e electromagnetic pulse event before that that shuts down all of the computers. And most of the military has their things hardened at this point in time. But any battlefield technology that isn't shuts down everything. Uh, but it's hard for me to imagine going back to arrows and shields and chariots and so forth. Uh, the other thing is, what it may be, is realize when Ezekiel spoke about Russia, he called it Gog and Magog. When he talked about Turkey, he called it the House of Togomar and Gomer. When he talked about Libya and Ethiopia, he called it Cush and Put. He used the ancient names to describe what he was seeing. Is he using the ancient names here to describe the weapons that he's looking at that he's never seen? that he perceives. And of course, just free information, uh, Israel's one of their most advanced tank is the Merkiva, which is the chariot. And uh, their most functional defensive missile system is the arrow, you know, so maybe he saw arrows and chariots and went, you know, I'm just kidding. Uh, so they're gonna burn those for seven years. So th this can't be the end of the tribulation where they're burning and cleaning up bodies into the kingdom age. That's ridiculous. It certainly can't be the end of the millennium uh, because at that point, Christ stands up, heaven and earth flee away. They disappear. There's not seven years to burn old weapons and uh, clean up dead bodies. Uh, this seven year is an interesting picture because the Antichrist is going to sign a seven year peace treaty with the nation of Israel. Possibly don't know. It says seven years in regards to that. By the way, if you want to dig in further, if you go to our app or you go back to our website, uh, we went through these chapters slowly. I think like four hours we took going through and kind of broke all of this down in greater detail, which we can't do on Sunday morning. Verse 11 in 39 says, and it shall come to pass in that day that I will give unto Gog a place there of graves in Israel, the valley of the passengers 
It says this place is on the east side of the sea, the Dead Sea, and it shall stop the noses. Literally, it is just going to stop those who would go by. And there they shall bury Gog and all his multitude, and they shall call it the valley of Hamangog, the valley of the numbers of Gog or so forth, the, the dead of Gog. And it says, for seven months shall notice the house of Israel be burying them that they may cleanse the land. Yea, all the people of the land shall bury them. Do you see that? So, you know, this gives us an idea of the carnage. They're going to bury them for seven months. All of the inhabitants of the land. So let's do this. There's 8 million Jews in the land today. So when it says all the, we know toddlers are not going to be out there burying dead bodies. Okay. So if we just take an eighth of the population of Israel, if you have just a million people out there out of 8 million burying, and they're burying one person a day, each person buries one person a day, that means in seven months they bury 180 million people. If they bury two people a day, in seven months they bury 360 million people, the population in the United States. The carnage here is really unimaginable. If you go through this and you look at it. And it isn't just happening by chance. It's clearly telling us here that God draws them in, that God allows this atheistic, antichrist, anti-Israel force to come into the land where he deals with it, that he might make himself known among many nations. And he's going to shake the nations at that point as well. And they don't have to clean up the, the battlefields by themselves. It says, it says, verse 17, Thou son of man, thus saith the Lord God, speak unto every feathered fowl, to every beast of the field, assemble yourselves, come gather yourselves on every side to my sacrifice, that I do sacrifice for you, even a great sacrifice upon the mountains of Israel, that you may eat the flesh and drink the blood. So the Israelis have a little bit of help from the birds and the critters cleaning the battlefield. Interesting, of course, as we look at it, is this is not the only place in this. Well, that makes it revelation. No, it doesn't, because if you go to the slaughter of Edom, Isaiah 34, you go to a slaughter of Egypt in Jeremiah 46, you go to Zephaniah chapter 1, uh, a war there, you go to Armageddon. There are a number of places through the Bible where there is, God calls this kind of a slaughter a great sacrifice, and he talks about fowls of the air, and you'll be eaten of the beast of the field and so forth, because that was considered a curse not to be buried. So you can't just make this one place. Interesting thing is when you go to Israel, uh, there are always huge flocks of birds because the migratory pattern over the Great Valley Rift that goes from north of Syria, southern Europe, down to northern Africa, goes right across the land of Israel. And there are zillions, if that's a number, of migratory birds that follow that pattern that are that God already set up. He set the table. He already set up the flight patterns. 
He's got everything ready. So this incredible scene that will take place. And as he describes it, he tells us clearly, look, there's, it is no superpower that defends Israel. It is the superpower that defends Israel. But there's no earthly superpower. America's standing on the sidelines. I guess after the rapture, America would be standing on the sidelines. And the miraculous defeat of these armies coming against Israel, the tiny little strip of land you can hardly see there, if you remember, there's Israel under the, the balloon that marks Israel is bigger than Israel. There's Israel at the bottom of it there. Uh, you see, there's Israel right there. All of these nations coming against Israel, their corpses laying, having to be cleaned up, not by the work of any superpowers in another nation. It's something that God does divinely that he might be known. And the miraculous defeat of Gog, no doubt, is what sets the stage for Daniel chapter 9, for a one world government, for a seven year peace treaty with Israel. Because if America is broken, if the back of Islam and Russia is broken, then finally Europe, globalism, which they're all trying to work towards now, a Europe, Europe, European Union can step to the fore as the most powerful, wealthy force in the world. And it is out of that pool of wealth and power that a seven-year peace treaty is signed with the nation of Israel which the Antichrist desecrates in the middle of it and proclaims himself to be God. We'll get there. Just wait. If it hasn't happened, we'll get there. If it does happen, just watch for yourself from the mezzanine. You'll see it all. In the middle of all this, again, you think then what dark plans are being made right now. Just think behind the scenes. What's taking place in the world that we live in? spiritually. Think of how humans are being influenced ignorantly by principalities and powers. Is the Antichrist already working somewhere? Quite possibly. Have the aliens landed? Probably. We see some of them on the news every day. The interesting thing is it's all being held back right now. Second Thessalonians in chapter 2 says, And now ye know what withholdeth, what's restraining, that he might be revealed in his time, the Antichrist. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he that now restrains, withholds, will do that until he's taken out of the way. It says right now, What's restraining all of this from breaking completely loose is the Holy Spirit. What you're seeing on the news here in the Middle East, what you're seeing of morality in our country, what you're seeing of insanity in our elementary schools, what you're seeing of murder and of war and of violence and immorality, it's the restrained version. You ain't seen nothing yet. Wait till the restrainer removes himself in his restraining capacity and all of this is let loose and this is let loose 
it will be unimaginable. Imagine the post-rapture world. It is going to be an extremely strange, powerful, spiritually eerie place to be. Right now, the Lord in control. He says at the end of Ezekiel 39 there, that the day is coming, he will no longer hide his face from the nation of Israel, but he will pour out his spirit on the house of Israel. There will still be those when God reveals himself that willingly are defiant and refuse to believe. We see them in the book of Revelation, shaking their fist at the sky and cursing God, refusing to believe. But there's going to be an ingathering such as we've never seen before. Listen, when God pours his spirit out on the house of Israel, and he's no longer, as he says, interesting, going to hide his face. That face walked among us in Galilee and Judea for three and a half years or longer. He's no longer going to hide his face because in the beginning of that seven-year period, after this, when God pours out his spirit, there's going to be 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes of Israel that are going to be sealed with the spirit. They're going to be marked so they're indestructible. 144,000 Jewish billygrams are going to be let loose on the planet. Besides the two prophets outside Jerusalem that are on the news every day. From that 144,000, which is the beginning of Revelation chapter 7, the second half of Revelation chapter 7 says there is a multitude that cannot be numbered that have come out of the great tribulation and have washed their robes white in the blood of the Lamb. The greatest period of evangelism in the history of humanity will be in the beginning of the great tribulation. This pouring out of God's spirit, this turning hearts back to himself. I'm a wimp, so I'm looking forward to being raptured. It suits my wimpy personality better than going through. And that's the long way around the barn having to do it because multitudes, it says, are martyred during that period of time. But we're there. Look, when you look at all of this, you make a personal assessment. All right, Pastor Joe, he's been blabbering for a couple of weeks about this. What do I believe? What don't I believe? What seems to me to be real, what seems to him to be real, may not be what seems to me to be real. What does seem to you to be real? You can at least go home. You know, there, there's necessity of today's headlines. There it is right there. But if there's a necessity to today's headlines, there's a necessity to tomorrow's headlines as well. There is a necessity of globalism as well. There are things that are forming right in front of us. And if they didn't form, God would be disingenuous and his word could not be trusted. Right now, this is what we see. This is where we're living. What does that tell you? I mean, it says any man who has this hope purifieth himself even as he is pure. You know, it leaves me and it should leave you asking, you know, Lord, help me. I should be living. Am I really living like I believe this? I mean, if an angel appeared in your bedroom last night, Mike, one of them, 
Gabriel. And he said, tomorrow afternoon, before the Super Bowl, the rapture is going to happen. Would any of you be bummed out and say, can't you wait until after the... We, we pray God is not listening to you, whoever you are. But I mean, if I knew three o'clock this afternoon, the trumpet was going to blow, what, you know, what are the equations I would work out in my own heart between now and then? You know, it wouldn't be, you know, oh, I got to run home and dump all the liquor down the drain or I got to throw the pornography out the window. I'm thankful. And if that's you, you better get to work. Uh, you know, it, it, it would, you know, there are certain things, but in my own heart as a, as a man, in my own heart as a Christian man, as a pastor, there would be things I would, say, I, I would be saying, Lord, help, you know, you're coming. I'm going to see you. Is there anything I kind of, we, we need to get anything straightened out before the trumpet blows or anything we need to, you know, we should be living that way every day. You know, there's no other religion in the world that, that gives the people that embrace that religion a clear picture of how the whole program ends. And we have that picture. And it's in technicolor today. It's in front of us. Is it going to happen today? I didn't say that. Is the rapture going to happen today? I didn't say that. I said it could. Will it happen in the next year? Don't know. Could. Will it happen in the next 10 years? Don't know. Could. Will it happen in the next 50 years? Doesn't matter because my rapture will. You know, the, the point is, I'm not being dogmatic. What we're doing, we don't have to be dogmatic. These are the things that are on the news, like the times he says in here, the eyes of the nations will see these things. No generation could ever have done that in the past. We're looking at it. Great time for us to say, Lord, help me do this. Help me witness to my mom, my dad, my kids. You know, Lord, I should be on my knees over my prodigal more than I have been crying out to you. Or Lord, let me, you know, let me buy some of those uh, great disappearances and give them out to everybody who ain't going to disappear when I disappear. You know, whatever. It is a great impetus for us to live the proper way in the days that we live in. Amen. And he's so gracious were his bride, his children, that he would tell us, hey, you guys, I don't know if he says that, but when you see this, you know, I'm at the very door. I'm there any moment, like a thief in the night, in the twinkling of an eye, when you least expect it. So be sober, be vigilant, be watching. And I don't know about you, but looking at the world around us, this sounds like a great program to me blow the trumpet and get me out of here. That sounds like a great program to me, you know? <clears throat> and look, how much longer does he wait? There's something about the world today, and, and I can't help, I mentioned before, just, you know, when, when I was my 20s, turning 20 years old, a different world, hippies, whatever was going on, I was getting high, you know, drugs, immorality. We punched each other and beat each other up. We did everything, but we never messed with kids. Child trafficking, polluting children in elementary school, 
the dismembering and bleeding out of children, it isn't just here. It's all around the world. We're hearing about it everywhere. There is a dark tide that has come over the world. And God is a moral God. And he says for anybody who messes with any one of these little ones, it would be preferable for him to have one of the great millstones tied around his neck and to be thrown into the deepest part of the sea. That would be preferable. Preferable. Look, I'm I'm not saying that because I'm thinking because I have a short list of people I want to see going down. I can be that carnal, but that's not why I'm saying it. Because I don't wish hell on anybody. Even the, you know, the worst, most vile people. I don't wish hell. Maybe like to see them burn for a day or two, but I don't wish hell. You know, you think of eternal suffering. That's incomprehensible to me. I couldn't wish that on anyone. And I know that's why he tarries right now. There will be more saved. But one day he's going to step across that line and he's going to move supernaturally. Things that the world has never seen will begin to take place as he is preparing to set up his kingdom. And there will be an ingathering unimaginable in that period. I think we're close. Amen. Let's stand. Let's pray together. Read ahead, Daniel 9. From Ezekiel, more than half the Bible's ahead, but read ahead. Father, thank you for these things as we look into them, Lord. Uh, We don't want it to be an academic exercise, Lord. We don't want it just to be speculation. Lord, we don't want to be in some prophetic argument to prove our position is right. We're just looking at these things, Lord, and and then bringing our hearts before you and kind of saying, how then should we live, Lord, if we really believe these things? Lord, we can be discouraged looking at the world around us. Lord, we can sometimes feel defeated, Lord, wanting to see more Christ-like in our own lives, in our own hearts and minds. Lord, we can be broken down in tears over our prodigals. We can be angered over the iniquity around us. But this light, Lord, that you've given to us, this blessed hope, Lord, it shines into all of those places. Help it, Lord, help it be more precious than it's ever been. Help that hope, Lord, to genuinely be an anchor for our souls, Lord, within the veil. We know you're able to do that. Lord, so we look to you, Lord Jesus, you're coming for us, Lord, to carry us across the threshold. We love you, Lord. We pray in your name. Amen.